Hi, this is Ray Duckler again. I have a woman with me here in the studio named Mela Tyler. And Mela is on the board of, of the Pembroke Historical Society. She's a historian, she's a writer, and she's joining me to talk about a, uh, a difficult topic. It was a mass murder back in 1906 of the Eyre family by the patriarch, Charles Eyre. He apparently killed his family and then went uh, to another location and killed himself. And this happened again in 1906. And I just thought it was interesting because uh, not many people in the Pembroke region know about it. So welcome, Mela. Thank you. Thank you for having me. And um, to start with, can you go back to when you discovered that this had happened in the Pembroke region and just talk about how surprised you were? Because I never heard of it, but you know, I don't live there. So maybe it could slip through. But you live there, and you were like, what the heck is this? Never had heard of so, it. Um, so start with that, with finding it and your reaction. I had been sort of recruited by the Pembroke Historical Society to archive and restore a lot of their old photos and their old documents. And um, I got a box of my next assignments, and within it was a newspaper article from 1906 regarding this horrific crime that had happened in Pembroke. And I was quite shocked because I had never heard of it. And in talking with a, a bunch of people, no one had ever heard of it. And at the time it had been, um, it said it was the most uh, appalling crime in the state's history. Which would make sense. Absolutely. Eight people killed. Yes, yes, seven people murdered and, um, and one suicide. When did you just come across this? How long ago was that? Um, only last month. <laughs> So very, very recently. And how long have you been living in Pembroke? Uh, 20 years. That's why I'm doing the story, because you've lived there um, a, lo a, lo a long um, time, and you knew nothing about this until last month. Nothing and about it. And then you spoke to other people, and they were like, I, I don't know anything about it. We have a um, Pembroke Historical Society Facebook page, and I put um, the article and the information up, and... Nobody. Nobody came forward and said, oh, I know about that. And in doing some more research, trying to uh, um, kind of figure out where exactly this farm was, it's in my own neighborhood. I ride by it all the time. And Is it still there? No. The, of course, no, because he, he burned Duh, the property Okay, down. he burned it down, <laughs> and then what has, <laughs> what's there now? It's a private residence, and so I actually know there. the people there. Oh. And uh, they did not know about it either. And... Um, when I'd shared it with them, they had actually asked me, where did this happen? And I said, actually, on your property. <laughs> so and they, you got to be kidding me. Could, who, is, who are those people? I mean, how long have they been living there? Oh, gosh. You know what? They have been living there for decades. It's Their family has been there um, for a few decades. I've been At least uh, two or three generations have lived on that property. Um, so I'm not, I can't quite, I don't know when their father bought the property, but yeah. Um, they had no idea. I, they kind of laughed because their kids had always said that the property was haunted, and um, my friend said, no, it's not. No one's ever died here. She was wrong. She was very wrong. So the kids had a sense that something was going on here. And it's quite a, a terrible story, very terrible story. Let's start uh, telling the story. So what do you know about what happened that day, January 17th? 1906. Um, well, Charles Ayer, 
lived on the property with his um, his wife, Addie Ayer, and her mother, which was Laura Lakeman. Um, Addie and Charles had five children. Um, the property had originally been owned by Laura Lakeman and her husband, Isaac. Isaac had died three years earlier, and um, the property um, in which the Charles and his family lived there with his mother-in-law had recently been put up for auction, and um, one of Laura Lakeman's sons purchased it. And um, he had made an agreement with them that he would allow Charles Ayer and his family to remain on the property rent-free as long as they took care of the mother-in-law and the taxes and the upkeep of the farm. Right. However, Charles Ayer thought that that was not a good enough deal for him because he felt his wife was entitled to a portion of the sale of the property. Okay. Um, even though he was being allowed to continue to live on the farm rent-free. For free, right. Right. Which is a nice deal, I think, but I okay. Think it was probably a pretty so good deal. Sounds a little greedy, but uh, okay. Mm -hmm. But he had had, um, he did not have the greatest reputation. Um, what was his reputation? He, they, they were said that he was kind of very lazy. He got fired from a lot of jobs. Um, he felt the world was sort of against him. Um, that there was always sort of a personal attack against everything he did. Um, so if, I think he's somebody who's felt kind of entitled and always felt wronged. Uh, Sounds like a lot of people in these small towns. <laughs> they kind of come out at the town meetings. Go ahead. Yeah. Sorry, sorry, go ahead. So, um, so there was a lot of uh, discourse in the family that he felt that he, his wife needed some of that money. And, of course, the, the son who had purchased it said no. Right. Um, I guess things had p apparently gone very sour and the mother-in-law had threatened to move out. And reports had said that he was said that she was never going to leave that property. And she didn't. Um, uh, <laughs> yep, she uh, sure didn't. So according to a lot of the, you know, the investigation, it appeared that um, they're not really sure which day he did it. Oh, okay. He, they have, may have been dead in their beds for a day or two. So but it could he, have been January sixteenth or the seventeenth. They're not sure because neighbors said that they didn't see anybody moving around the farm for a few days, and that the um, curtains had been drawn. So, uh, uh, so uh, apparently, uh, uh, on one of those days, perhaps the sixteenth or, or early, early morning on the seventeenth, right. um, he shot his mother-in-law while she was in bed, and it appears that the daughter, his wife came to her aid and he may have shot her but they're not sure um, but then decided everybody <laughs> he, he went on every everybody must go everyone this, must go not he to make light of that but murdered yes. his wife and then um, they believe with an axe or a knife mm. murdered all five children um, on the morning of the 17th so they're not sure if they had actually perished that morning or the night before, or maybe even the day before. Right. Um, he then decided to douse everything and set the house on fire. you got to destroy the evidence, right? Right. I, I don't know. <laughs> i got to think like a killer. Oh. Uh, before we continue, age range of the children? Uh, there was an infant. Um, I believe she was only a few months old. Um, Andrew, their son, was four. 
Uh, Bernice, the daughter, six. Alfred, the son, was 10 years old. And Flossie Ayer was 12. Flossie. Flossie. I like that name. <laughs> so Flossie, okay, Flossie was 12. Okay, yes, continue. Uh, Laura Lakeman, who was the mother-in-law, was right. um, 63. But they said that she was a very strong woman, so they... They don't think that she must have been asleep. She didn't know this was happening. Right. Um, so 9 a.m. on January 17th, he torched his own house with the bodies inside. And um, a neighbor saw him um, hitch up a team and leave. Uh, of course, the fire hadn't you know, been engulfed quite then. But he left. They saw him leave. Um, they said at that time of the morning, there's not really a lot of... Um, men that were around they're probably more at work or away so once the flames were noticed they nobody really could fight it they said it was just a lot of like the older women or the children were around right, right. um ironically mrs lakeman's other son worked down at um the uh, the carriage manufacturer right on main street in concord oh okay and wow he could see the smoke from his office, essentially. From Concord? From Concord. From downtown out to Pembroke? Right. Oh, so this is a roaring fire. It's North Pembroke, of course, so it's... it's the a closer. Yeah. Um, so he saw it and suspected that it was his, mother, his mother's farm. Um, and he was actually the... Uh, he made it there, and he was actually one of the ones that discovered one of the bodies. Um, but anyways... Uh, Charles Ayer made his way towards Chichester um, to his sister's house, which was uh, Mrs. George Bailey. And they, George, Mrs. George Bailey. That sounds like a movie. <laughs> it's a wonderful. It's a wonderful podcast, isn't right. that the movie? Go ahead. Um, they said that he was acting very distraught, very bizarre. He said something to his brother-in-law in, mm. along the lines that he was in a lot of trouble. Um, a couple hours later, one of his neighbors showed up at the Bailey's home to tell him that his farm was burning. And he said, they said that he said nothing but pulled out a pistol, put it to his head, and shot himself. At that moment when he was told that the farm was burning? Yes. So they didn't know that he had murdered his family yet. So they, they must have thought, know. wow, he really liked his farm. Look at <laughs> the, what he just did. Um, so he killed himself in the home in Chichester, in the Bailey home in Chichester? It was behind the barn, yes. Behind the barn. <laughs> yep. Okay. Um, he died a few hours later that night. Never regained consciousness, so they never got to ask him why. What uh, were the circumstances of the, uh, the bodies being discovered or anything like that? How long after? What was the scenario? Do you know? Well, they, um, Mrs. Lakeman's son... Um, feeling that that was her house on fire, immediately left to head to Pembroke. Um, said that he was the one that first discovered one of the bodies. Um, then authorities in Concord realized this is probably a crime. <laughs> and uh, they, I, once, once the um, fire cooled, they then found the other bodies. Um, they, not to sound terribly gruesome here, but- uh, Oh, go ahead. Uh, there was really only decent remains of two of them. They said the children had just burned to ashes. So when they were actually buried and conquered, they only used two caskets. For the seven? For the seven of them, yes. 
What uh, cemetery? Oh, Do we know? I think it's, um, oh, you know what? I'm not quite sure. I want to say it was Blossom Hill. Okay. Yeah. Possibly. Um, the the buzz statewide or or what have you. I don't know how how quickly word could travel back then in 1906. But do you, do you know about reaction in the area and beyond? Did it spread that far? Actually, this made newspapers across the country, and um, it had been said that it was the most appalling crime in the state's history. I'm appalled. <laughs> and to think at this point, I don't know anybody who knows about it. And, you know, in general, this isn't that long ago. 1906. Right, right. You couldn't find anybody who said to you, oh, yeah, oh, Mela, that's all. Uh, I, I'd known about that. Where, where you been? You I know? have not. Nope. And uh, no like I one's said, heard about it. We put it on our to. Facebook page and people were shocked. No one's ever heard of this. Why do you think that is? It's a big deal. I mean, I recently wrote about the Josie Langmaid uh, memorial, and she was murdered walking to, uh, a lot of murder lately in this region, I'm sorry, walking to Pembroke Academy. She was murdered, and there was a a, a monument put up to to remember her. A lot of people knew about that. A lot of people didn't. This one, just just people didn't know anything about it, huh? Absolutely, and... and Definitely, in comparison, much more, many more people know about Josie Langmaid. Right. But this one somehow has just disappeared in history. Do people, are people, do, do you know if people are starting to do research on it because they're curious, or you're the one who brings them all the material? I have, I have not, I have not found anybody else who knows anything. But I now, of course, with the powers of the internet, I have found the old paper clippings you know, from different newspapers talking about it. And in fact, uh, one, one clipping I found was, um, was written a few weeks after the murder, and it sort of implied that this had been planned. Um, he had, according to this article, delivered some um, suitcases in a large trunk to a lady who lived on Pearly Street in Concord with the instructions for her to just hold it and then give it to her, his sister. And in, in that trunk was a lot of, he was a harness maker, so it was a lot of his tools and money. So it was almost as if maybe he had been planning this for a few weeks at least. It sounds like it. I mean, why else would he have done that? Exactly. That's would definitely be my, my guess was that it's been planned. But, um, but when they were, when the articles were written sort of immediately after the discovery of, of this crime was they sort of said he had gone into sort of a blind rage and just, you know, snapped and, and killed his family. He was a harness maker? Amongst his other jobs in which he'd been hired and fired from, but yes. So he was, a, was he a drunk? Did he drink? Do we have that down? Um, I have not found anything that said he, w- he was a drunk, but it seemed as though he sort of had a, a really bad attitude in life. You think? <laughs> <laughs> and uh, not surprisingly. Not surprisingly and, uh, on the bad attitude. And he would get hired and fired. And, and then, of course, it was always just a personal attack against him that they fired him because he would sleep all day at work. <laughs> he didn't think that was a good enough reason to fire him? <laughs> um, and then now the last thing here is, I, did you tell me about another, another murder in the Pembroke region that was um, had been overlooked that maybe I should look into? There is, actually, in... Um, Sally. In North North Pembroke, Sally Cochran, 
who um, she, again, in North Africa. <laughs> yeah, boy, it's a rough neighborhood. <laughs> it's a very rough neighborhood. Tough neighborhood. Um, uh, she, they, they had sort of, I think it was kind of a transient person working for them who decided to bludgeon her to death while they're picking strawberries. And there's actually another monument um, out in the woods for her. <laughs> I guess we'd like to put monuments where people get killed. <laughs> where? Uh, well, right off North Pembroke Road. Um, it's a bit in the woods. You're not going to see it from the road. Um, but, yeah, there's another another monument that showed where she was murdered. You've seen it? I have not seen it. Um, huh. It's on my list. <laughs> Mine, too, now. It's off of North Pembroke Road yep. in the woods, in off the of woods. the road, so you can't see it driving by? No, no. So, And I'm sure it must be private property at this point. But, um, yeah, another another gruesome murder. What year was that? I apologize. I do not remember. Well, we'll have to get into I, that. I that believe be it my... was. It, I believe it dated prior to Josie Langmaid, oh. and she was eighteen seventy-five. Right. So I believe it was before then. So I'm, I want to say a guy, good twenty years or so. Well, that might be something worth investigating. I am uh, the I am the Sun Cook Valley writer now, so these podcasts and my columns and my news stories are going to be really focused in on uh, the. Pembroke region, Chichester, Epsom, Suncook, etc. So I think this one fits right up uh, into that category. And um, I appreciate you coming in. No problem. Thank you.